Hi everyone, welcome to the newest episode of Step Zero. And as promised you guys, I'm back with um, Elliot Brown. Uh, I'm sure you guys all remember him because we had a wonderful conversation about neuroscience and, and mental health in the work, uh, at work. And today we're back with uh, a couple of topics that are very, very close to my heart. And I'm really excited to actually touch on those topics, especially from a neuroscientific perspective. We're gonna be touching on nutrition, we're gonna be touching on physical activity, social interactions, all in the context of, of mental health and from a neuroscientific perspective. So I'm very, very excited to hear Elliot share his expertise with us again. Just a quick introduction to anyone who hasn't listened to our podcast yet, the previous episode of the podcast, I really am telling you that you have to. But Elliot is a senior uh, researcher, senior research fellow at uh, Charité here in Berlin. He's also a neuroscientist and, and a mental health advocate as well, who shared his personal story with us. I'm really happy to have you back, Elliot, and really excited to get this conversation going. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for taking me on the second time. <laughs> I can't promise that I'm not going to try it a third and fourth time, especially <laughs> <laughs> considering the topics, but uh, let's get to it. So um, we wanted to talk uh, today about a lot of very, very interesting things, as I mentioned before, and I would love to start with more from the neuroscientific bio biological point of view and then slowly work our way towards obviously how that translates in in the workplace as well but that let's talk a little bit about bio uh, biology and the environment and how they play a role in 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 our mental health obviously from a neuroscientific perspective would love it if you could share your view on this i think that's that's a really really exciting topic that has a lot to research on and a lot to learn from that I think we we haven't done so far yet. So Elliot, would you mind sharing your perspective on that? Yeah, sure. It's um, <clears throat> I guess it's a long-standing debate in uh, this nature versus nurture idea, and um, yeah, there's a lot of myths I guess associated with mental health and how much environment plays a role and how much our biology plays a role and. Uh, I guess it's really a combination of both and a lot of the biological and genetic factors that you might uh, be born with could predispose you in certain ways to, to develop mental health issues later on and um, the, the, the environment could either kind of accelerate um, the, the, the onset of these mental health issues or it could even prevent uh, the, the onset and so it really it really depends on a combination of both and the more and more we do research about it I guess in neuroscience too we're understanding more and more about how um, the effect of our environment is really making long-lasting changes on our brain as we go through development in childhood but also in adult life so so yeah I guess we'll go into more specific uh, details on the on the topics that we're talking about. Yes, and Elliot, before we do so, I, I, I would love if we could touch a little bit more on the environment specifically. You mentioned that the development that we go through in childhood and adulthood, there's a lot of different factors. But what does the environment mean exactly? What, what, how would you define it in this context when we're looking at the different effects that the environment can have? Is it our physical environment? Is it our social environment? What exactly is that in this context? I think the topics that we'll be touching on today uh, at least in neuroscience, they're really the, 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 the core and the central focus of a lot of research that looks into how environment affects our mental health. 
Um, the first we'll talk, we'll talk a bit about nutrition, I think, and then physical activity and um, social interactions. And, and all of those are kind of things I guess we know intuitively are really good for us, um, you know, having these healthy habits. And I guess a lot of the neuroscience research that, that I've been working on and the field has been working on has really confirmed a lot of what we kind of knew intuitively, but kind of giving us more precise information about how we can make healthy choices in our lifestyle. Um, yeah. It's a very tough thing, right? Especially if we think about what we also discussed in our previous conversation, you know, building healthy habits when you're going through in, in extreme cases, quite severe depression or anxieties, you know, making those choices and actually acting on them, it, it puts you in a very, very, very tough position. Right? Sometimes you feel I think we often use the word, at least just between us, paralyzed, right, to, to, to take any action. Um, but let's start with, with what you talk about um, uh, in that order, nutrition. That's a really big topic. And that's one of the things that I think um, some of the people who have followed us, they've known that I, I personally have been very, very challenged with nutrition for quite some time. Coming from eating disorders, a lot of different things, right? Intolerance, a lot of topics. And the more you read about it, the more effort you put into these, um, in this area, the more confused you get. Right. If you're interested in sports, you're going to talk about high protein diets. You have to do all these supplements. If you talk about whole foods in a different story, then you talk about different supplementation. And then at one point you freak out, you lose it and you don't know what to do anymore. So help me also clarify and help our audience as well. Get a better understanding what nutrition or good nutrition could be when it comes to your, your mental well-being. Yeah, I really uh, appreciate that you brought up the, the topic of supplements because it's something I kind of wanted to touch on at the end and, and um, leave some resources as well because there's certainly a lot of misinformation out there um, and a lot of it is the information we get is not necessarily based on any um, scientific evidence or, or well-controlled studies. So, so yeah, I, if I could return back to that, um, but just talking more generally about nutrition, I guess, and mental health, a lot of what's been coming out in the research world has been finding more and more that nutrition effects, or it kind of comes down to the root of the problem being related to inflammation. And so inflammation, that means, well, in neuroscience world, is, there's inflammation that goes on in the brain and that can limit our blood flow and it can also affect how well no, and cells in the brain repair themselves or how, they, how well they're protected <clears throat> for degeneration. And um, so that's one, one aspect that I would, I would, I'll touch on a lot is this idea of inflammation. Inflammation generally is bad. And a lot of the things that we thought were uh, problems with our health, with our brain or cardiovascular problems, now we're understanding more and more is related a lot to do with inflammation and we're understanding more about how environment affects uh, levels of inflammation and nutrition is a really big component of that. And um, another big component I wanted to talk about is this, this process called oxidative stress. And <clears throat> this, is a, um, this is what happens in the body when you're, uh, you get a production of these uh, free radicals, which are kind of byproducts of our body using oxygen. And these free radicals are floating around in our body. Um, and like the, the idea of antioxidants is that these kind of supposed to be kind of hoovering up these free radicals, 
because what they can do is that these free radicals can essentially damage your cells. And so oxidative stress is really bad too. And it's also related to inflammation. And so, so, and a lot of the research in nutrition recently has been talking about the gut, uh, the gut brain axis and, um, words like the microbiome have been flying around. Um, and uh, what that essentially means is and we actually have multiple microbiomes within our body, not just within our gut, but we also have microbiomes on, on our skin, which also where we have like a set really good bacteria, which help protect us and it provides us with immunity in many different ways. And so, only recently we've been trying to understand or we've been seeing how important the, the balance of this microbiome is for our, for our health in general, across the board, not just for our brain health. And the, having a good microbiome can help prevent against infection, also can help prevent against inflammation and oxidative stress. And there's this whole new field of, of psychiatry research that's come out recently called nutritional psychiatry where doctors and researchers are trying to explore the potential, I guess, for supplements and, and specific diets to treat specific mental health issues. And, and there's been this word uh, created called nutraceutical, which is like a kind of using this idea that we can use food or supplements as alternative to, to, to drugs. Um, one example of that is in, in depression. A lot of some researchers found that people with depression they lack certain minerals um, uh, like magnesium and zinc. And giving magnesium and zinc supplements have been shown to to improve some, some symptoms of de uh, depression. The same goes for omega, right? Like omega has been actually popping up omega-3 supplementation, especially for people that, for example, are in vegan diets. Obviously, if someone is vegan, there's several more things that you kind of need to go through. And I'm actually reading, it's so interesting that you bring this up. I started two days ago uh, reading a book exactly about this, this research. And it's so difficult, right, to, to get into this because these microbiomes in your body, we're, we're talking billions. So it's also not an easy thing, especially in your gut, the whole gut-brain axis. There's so many different connections and the way it communicates. Obviously, I'm more on the, on the street style understanding it, not on the scientific way, but exactly what you're touching on is so incredibly interesting. You know, how nutrition, gut health, and depression, again, becomes even more personal because there's so many things that we haven't even understand. We're talking about the largest organ in our body, and, and it has so much in the decision-making, uh, depending on the balance of the different bacteria that, that is in there. So when you, when you talk about nutritional psychiatry and also inflammation, that's a very, very big topic, right? And you see all these anti-inflammatory diets going on, um, limiting processed food, limiting grains. There's a lot of, you know, ad hoc things that are, are coming up. So can you explain that to us a little bit as well? What does inflammation mean in the body? I guess um, the most basic thing that inflammation really affects, especially in the brain, is, is blood flow. So we, uh, the brain, if you look at the, a picture of the brain, it doesn't look like it's, there's that much um, vasculature or blood vessels around it, but there are thousands of tiny, tiny um, blood vessels running through every part of the brain. And 
that's really the communication between that that provides the communication between the rest of the body and and the brain cells so the transfer of neurotransmitters neurotrans, happens uh, with um through blood vessels and also by the by the um the fluid that's that the brain is surrounded in but um so in terms of um, just reducing the blood flow, that can limit the amount of nutrients, basically, that get to the brain cells. And so then when uh, you look at people's aging brains, uh, you see kind of neural degeneration and uh, things like Alzheimer's, they, the, the, you get these plaques in the brain, um, this buildup of, um, which prevents uh, also prevents a, a lot of blood flow getting to the brain too and that, and that just it just really limits the ability for the cells to protect themselves um, and yeah so that's that's one of the main things that really inflammation uh, leads to this also as a result of inflammation there's a lot of other um, chemicals that get released in by the body just naturally in response to inflammation that can be harmful to, to our body cells, our brain cells. Um, and yeah, inflammation can also lead, uh, has been related to oxidative stress, which, which increases these, these oxidants in the body. Um, okay, thank you. I mean, I think that, that definitely helps us understand what the, what the topic could be. Nonetheless, I want to make it a little bit less scary because this obviously when you talk about your brain, inflammation, you know, things building up, we talk about nutrition here. What, what could be some recommendations from, from your end? And I would like to do it right now instead of at the end of the episode because there's going to be three topics that are so relevant. And I think it's important that, the, that we take the time to, to make those recommendations. It's quite hard to go very specific. I understand that when it comes to nutrition. But are there any guidelines or thoughts or feedback that you could actually share with most of our population, most of us, that can help us um, with inflammation, reducing our oxidative stress and also just generally doing better and having a, a healthier living a healthier and better life so i guess what we're finding out in neuroscience research is is confirming what we already knew uh, was bad for, our, for the rest of our bodies and especially the western diet which is high in sugar we know that having high high sugar foods it creates these big uh, peaks of insulin and and dro big uh, drops as well and this these big ups and downs has a big impact on our moods and if you can imagine if this is happening every day these big fluctuations in our mood the long-term effects on our mental health can be can be um, pretty detrimental and so we know that also high sugar is also leads to inflammation um, and also processed foods, the, the actual processing foods can often destroy a lot of the nutrients and vitamins that, that the food would naturally provide. And as we know, mental health problems are linked with, um, with lower kind of minerals and vitamins like, like depression I mentioned earlier about um, being related to having uh, lower levels of magnesium and zinc. So, if we have a constant um, con consumption of processed foods, then we kind of lack, we can essentially lack um, a lot of the nutrients that are important for maintaining our brain health. Mm -hmm. 
And that's very, very important because I think it's, um, as you said, whole foods in, in, in the beginning of the conversation is what we should be going for. Now, whole foods is also a very, very widely used term, right? People just, you know, throw it out there. But what we mean by whole foods is really the least processed food, the most natural um, um, stage that we can find actual fresh vegetables, fresh fruits, anything that doesn't go through any type of um, uh, processing. Is, is that correct? Uh, would, you, would you agree? Okay. That's, that's really, really good to know. So um, let's move on to also the next stages, right? Especially when we're talking about inflammation and, and from the nutrition point, obviously we want to nurture our bodies because we want to move, we want to strive. And that leads us also to the exercise part of that. And I think that's, that's one of the things that's being also highly studied right now, exercise being one of the most underutilized antidepressants out there. Um, I know it's a cliche thing to say, but I personally really, really believe so. So can you explain us a little bit, your research, your learnings and studies when it comes to exercise and mental health in combination with, with the correct nutrition, of course, as well? Yeah, so there's definitely lots of studies recently in, in the neuroscience world showing how much exercise can actually have long-term changes on your brain. Uh, one of the most replicated findings is that the exercise can actually change the size of certain regions in your brain. Uh, one being uh, the hippocampus, which is responsible for our memory um, and our spatial memory. And so that kind of has knock-on effects on our ability to, to our, our cognitive abilities too. So, um, and, and one reason for this is really also going back to this idea of inflammation and oxidative stress, um, by doing aerobic or cardiovascular exercise, we're increasing the blood flow to, to our body, but also to our brain. And so this is also helping feed our brain cells with the nutrients that it needs. And so then it gives it the ability to repair and, and protect this itself. Um, and we also know that there's specific neurotransmitters that are affected by exercise uh, studies show that this, there's one chemical in the brain called uh, the, a brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF. And this is actually protective for the brain against oxidative stress. So this helps protect the, the cells in the brain from degenerating. And I think what, one question that often comes to people's minds is what is the best exercise to do for your brain, right? And... From the neuroscience studies, we know well, most of the work has actually been done looking at specifically aerobic exercise, so kind of cardiovascular, um, running, or um, and. But we also know the, the studies confirm that strength training and resistance training also improves our cognitive abilities and also our mood. And also recently, um, there's been more work in neuroscience looking at the effects of meditation and yoga and things like that. So, so you could say, I guess, taking uh, the ideal situation would be really to take a combination of all three and uh, focusing on a bit of aerobic exercise and, and some strength training and also maybe trying to integrate some kind of exercise that is, utilizes or trains your breath um, and like, like yoga which is kind of meditative. 
I'm, I'm honestly clinging on to every word you say, and, and you just actually settled the debate between me and Mateo that's been going on since we know each other. What's better, cardio or strengthening? He's a huge cardio guy. He's, he's a football player. Obviously, he loves running. I cannot stand it. I, I rather walk, but I'm a huge fan of strength training, right? So we came up all the time with these different um, studies and reasons why one is better than the other. And I, I just love the fact that you actually say that a combination is great. You know, there's different facts to it. There's different things. And, and a lot of research shows that as well. Also for strengthening, you have also the, the, the positive effects of your bones and bone structure, bone health. So it's a lot of very, very good things that, that exercise can do for you. And it's, it's really one of my, one of my my favorite topics as well and um, I, I cannot believe that I have to limit myself in terms of time Elliot you're really coming back because this conversation cannot stop um, because we do want to move on to also the social interaction part and that's another thing that I, I, I love because it's connected to nutrition and exercises as well right sometimes people feel better when they go and eat uh, together they enjoy food they go up for a walk together they go outside so it's very very important so I would love to talk about that in an ideal scenario. And if you don't mind on the next stage, I would love to actually look into also the parts of social anxiety or people with depression or anxieties who actually feel very limited when it comes to these social interactions because they're restrained in their own minds. I'm not so sure. Please allow the audience as well in case I'm not using the right terminology. I think you understand what I mean they feel a little restricted when it comes to really living their social interactions. Yeah, I'm a, I've been working in the field of social neuroscience for many years. And um, so I'm a big proponent that, that social interaction is really good for us and good for our brain and good for our brain health, our mental health. And we know that humans, are, are, we're hardwired to be social animals. So if you look at the evolution of the the human brain you see this expansion of, of the prefrontal cortex and that prefrontal cortex is really where the area in the brain where a lot of our uh, a lot of these high level processes for social interaction go on and and so we've really been built to be within a social interaction um it's you know that the development of language um the, the development of art and music and literature is all a way to communicate for us. And so it's just so critical for us biologically to, to, to keep practicing these social interactions. And if you look at severe mental illness, often you, you trace back to um, people's kind of histories, life, hist uh, life histories before they get admitted to hospital, end up with seeing a doctor. And often you see um, these kind of abnormal trajectories of kind of social behavior where um, people might be more withdrawn or they might have problems kind of uh, making friends and, and have social anxiety. And so when you have these kinds of problems early on in life, it, it kind of already sets you off on this, this unhealthy path because once you start to, to avoid social situations, then, then you lose the opportunity to practice your social skills. And when that happens early on, then it can, be, it can happen at a time which is really critical for you to be able to develop these skills. And, and then you can, then that's this kind of end up in this vicious cycle where, because you don't 
haven't practiced your social skills so well, you don't feel so confident in a social situation, so then you become even more withdrawn and avoid situation, social situations even more. So this is, um, this is one idea that I've, I've been working a lot, especially with, with schizophrenia, uh, because people with schizophrenia, they, they tend to have really kind of fundamental problems in, in understanding social situations and social stimuli. Like for example, they, they find it really hard to, to read people's emotions and they often misinterpret people's emotions as being something negative. Um, and and yeah the, the, but in even for for people who have not been diagnosed with a severe mental illness we know that social interactions can be beneficial to us like for example in terms of uh, preventing pain there's uh, some really cool studies uh, which looked at hand holding and how how that helped as a kind of um, pain reliever and so what they did they brought people in uh, in to put them in an MRI scanner and they kind of inflicted mild pain with electric shocks while they were in the scanner and um, and they had it one time alone and then another they, they then brought in a close partner and had them hold their hands and we what was what they found was that the pain centers in the brain were much less active when their partner was there holding their hands. So, and they also felt like they had subjectively experienced less pain. And one uh, neurochemical which, which has been received a lot of attention recently is uh, related to that is oxytocin. Um, and it's been sometimes called the, the cuddling hormone. <laughs> and uh, it's, so oxytocin gets released in the body when we have social interactions, uh, when we receive positive social feedback, um, when we make social con physical social contact, it's really the, the, the chemical that bonds us together. It's, uh, it bonds the, the mother and the child together. Um, like when, when the mother is breastfeeding, for example, we get really high uh, boosts in oxytocin. And um, you can also, what uh, some of the experiments I've been working on, we bring people into the lab and we actually give them oxytocin um, in a nasal spray and we give them <laughs> uh, different decision-making tasks and psychological experiments and we see that people tend to be more kind of pro-social when you give them oxytocin and in terms of social anxiety as well, there's been studies that found that it can even reduce social anxiety even in situations that the anxiety is really high for people who experience social anxiety, like a public presentation, for example. Um, and it also goes back to inflammation too. We know that oxytocin helps, um, it not only helps regulate cortisol in the body, which is the stress hormone, so it kind of acts like a stress buffer, um, but that also has effects on inflammation in the body. So it can also help reduce inflammation in the body and the brain. Um, and yeah, in terms of uh, social anxiety, we know there's been lots of neuroimaging studies where we've looked at brain activity of people who um, have been diagnosed with social anxiety disorder. So very severe um, cases of severe uh, social anxiety. And we see that the one specific region in the brain called the amygdala, which is related to uh, fear processing <clears throat> that is overactive 
um, in people with social anxiety when you present them with kind of social stimuli or put them in, in socially anxious situations. Um, and we also see in brain imaging studies this, this um, abnormal activation in, in, a, in an area within the prefrontal cortex called the ventral medial prefrontal cortex. And this area is also really responsible for very complex um, high-level social kind of emotions or um, like shame and embarrassment and even like the kind of self-doubt, uh, this kind of inner, inner critical voice. Um, and, and that's, I think, something quite common that people with social anxiety tend to experience. Um, and yeah, one, one way to deal with that is really to try to change your whole belief system um, around social situations. And that can be done really effectively with, with psychotherapy like CBT. Um, and, and yeah, the, in terms of the benefits of social interaction, it's not only the benefits in terms of our physiology, our biology, but also, like you already mentioned, uh, that it can help promote healthy habits and, and, and positive health behaviours like going to a group exercise class you know i had a i had a gym buddy when i was living in canada and i was going way more frequently than i am now when i don't have a gym buddy and so yeah having this also abiding by social norms can be really really powerful um to to get people to make uh, healthy choices in their lifestyle like for example um us living in berlin in um, like we're surrounded by vegan restaurants, organic food, um, and all of our friends and are eating that too. So this, we kind of then tend to move ourselves into this, this social norm in terms of our, our eating behaviors too. Yeah, there's so much that, that interconnects and, and, and I just keep thinking what, what, what's the, not the right question, but which question I should be asking, you know, next, because there's really so many things that come together and I think there's so much that we still don't know. And that basic knowledge that we need in our lives that requires so much attention and so much more education, we need to share this information so that people can really make um, meaningful changes and adjustments in their lives. And, and it's really important that you have studies that, that back that. I think for now, for this episode, I, I would love to have the, the final question or the final conversation be, about these three factors, the three topics that we talked about being nutrition, physical activity, and social interactions. How would you translate these three things when it comes to an individual's work well-being or well-being in, in the workplace? How can they actually, because at, at the end of the day, like we, we've seen studies, you know, you spend one third of your life at work. So it's quite a significant amount that you spend there. And these three factors are something that you need to consider and need to keep in mind. So how would you address these things in, in, in a working environment uh, where individuals really need to pay attention to their stress levels, to, to their performance and to their overall well-being? I really like uh, the, the point that you brought up that we, there's still a lot that we don't know. <laughs> and it's something that I always like to stress when I talk to, to people about these topics. And especially with um, the relationship between nutrition and mental health, this is a really, really new area of research uh, that there's still relatively very little um, research been done. Um, but because of there's been a lot of attention around it, uh, it's it's gained um, 
I guess, along with that, maybe brings a lot of um, like overly ambitious claims that might be might not necessarily be justified. And so I think that's that's I would say just in general to be cautious about um, what you read in the news and um, and so I think this in terms of in the workplace um, trying to encourage these healthy behaviors I think that one thing I touched on already is kind of this idea of social norms and and getting um, getting other people to to kind of to act or make choices uh, in the same way that they're the people that they're surrounded by. And I think that's really crucial when thinking about trying to implement change um, or try to implement better healthy um, lifestyle choices in the workplace or even at home. And I think once you've got a few people kind of um, some momentum going and a few people starting to advocate for these healthy life choices, then, then it's a good chance that other people will follow. Um, so I think that's um, like just thinking strategically in terms of trying to get people to, to make these choices in the workplace. Yeah. I think that's something to think about. I couldn't agree more, and that's that's hundred percent is aligned also with our conversation that we recently had when it comes to change management, when it comes to organizational design, when it comes to leadership. It starts with leading by example, and and I think when when we just translate what you said from a social context to the work social context, it's important that you create frameworks that individuals can actually create these healthy habits in. Right? It's going to be different for everyone, but I think what you're talking about, starting with the individual and having a community at the end of the day that that believes in in, in similar um, uh, norms or similar ways of living I think that really really helps and I think that comes down to also creating the right and healthy organizational cultures and that's where I think it's important for our audience to notice as well that there's not much of a difference when it comes to your life and your work life because at the end of the day they are integrated they're all together and the basics of how you create your your social circles and the way you actually work and live is going to influence your mental well-being overall maybe just in a different environment and i'm really glad that we touched on those different aspects of the environmental influences going to the nutrition part and obviously the exercise part it's going to be something that you you need to figure out for yourself and as you said it's very important to be cautious and that's something that i have experienced on myself as well reading way too many things getting confused and not knowing anymore what to eat. Um, we would love it, and, and I can promise this to our audience as well, because uh, Elliot shared some wonderful references for our previous podcast as well, that we will do the same with this. It's very, very important that you guys know exactly what you read and where you read that. So Elliot, if you don't mind, we would definitely use your references for the audience to make sure that they can educate themselves a little bit. And by that, I also mean myself and, and Matteo, of course, <laughs> being the biggest, biggest dorks here. Um, thank you so much for, for, for talking about this. I, I think that this is something that we need to talk a lot more about. It's something that's still very much in the beginning, but I feel that there's there's so much that can that we can learn that changes our lives. And, and I think I can say this from in, in the name of our own community and, and ourselves as well, that thank you so much for the research that you do and, and all the effort that you put in understanding what goes on in our body and how these things are connected. It definitely helps people that, that are challenged with their mental health, whatever that mental health disorder might be, whatever anxiety that might be. I know that this conversation with you helped me a lot to clarify 
a lot of the thoughts that I had recently and the learnings as well. And I truly hope that we can get you back because I already wrote down, I think, 10 other topics that I would love to pick your brains on um, to have you back because I really think that what you represent, the knowledge and the research is the future of mental health and is the future of mental health in the workplace in general. So, Elliot, with that, I would love to thank you again for coming on for the second episode for the Elliot slash Step Zero podcast. I hope there's going to be episode three, four. Um, I really wish you a wonderful day and, and really thank you for taking the time for this and sharing these wonderful and really, really insightful um, uh, research uh, information with us. It's, it's been one of the most exciting and most insightful conversations for me, for sure. So thank you for that. Thanks so much for having me. It's really been a pleasure, especially coming on a second time. I feel very honored. And You know what's even better than that? Third time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Elliot. Have a wonderful day. And uh, thank you for your time again. And for the Step Zero guys out there, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Uh, it's definitely something that I feel I learned a lot from. I hope you feel the same. Let us know if you have any questions, if there's anything specific that you would love to get more info on. We would definitely do our best to get that over to you and make sure that it's as heavily research-based and as um, credible as possible. So thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back soon with the next podcast. And Elliot, thank you so much again.